0: Open. Outspoken. It's Ophthalmology Off the Grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. In this podcast, Dr. Blake Williamson invites a panel of Drs. Brenton Finklia. Raul Tonk, Camila Albo, and Mike Zane to share advice for ophthalmology resident applicants as the match approaches. Hear insights from both sides of the interview table. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Maw Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to
0: another episode of Survive and Thrive, which is the sub of the Ophthalmology Off the Grid podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Blake Williamson. Really happy to be here tonight um, for this very topical uh, episode of Survive and Thrive. And it's all about how to approach the match. We know that this is coming up uh, very soon. And there's a lot of residents out there uh, who are soon to be residents who are applying for the match and want to get into ophthalmology. So what are some tips and tricks for that what do they need to be thinking uh, throughout their interview process? Um, and, and so on and so forth. So, we thought that we'd kind of take this in, in sort of a, from a few different approaches and a few different viewpoints, both those who have recently matched from within here in the United States as well as uh, international med grads. And then also those who are on the other side of the table, those who are looking at some of the applicants, whether it be in fellowship or residency, um, and uh, either work at institutions uh, academic institutions or affiliated with that. So I think we're going to have a wide range of perspective um, and have a lot of pearls for those of you who are hoping for good news here coming up. So I thought that we'd kind of start with introducing uh, our our guests. We'll start with uh, uh, Brent
2: and Rahul and then Mike and uh, Camilla. Awesome. Thanks so much, Blake. Uh, So my name is Brent Finkley, I am in practice in Philadelphia, I'm uh, in private practice, but I'm on staff at Will's Eye, where I work uh, for the cornea department, um, work with the cornea fellows, and then I also run the global health department at Will's Eye, where we have a two fellow um, global ophthalmology fellowship program. So happy to bring some perspective, but thanks so much for having me tonight.
3: Great, and I'm Rahul Tonk, I uh, practice out of uh, Bascom palmer where I do cornea cataract and refractive. And uh, I finished uh, my residency in Albany, New York in 2013, um, sorry, 2016, and then my uh, Cornea Fellowship in 2017. Uh, So I've been practicing about five years, so kind of remember some of what it's been like to go through. And uh, I now have the privilege to to co-direct our Cornea Fellowship, so also um, understand what it's like to be on this side of the table and uh, how talented so many of the applicants are and just try to give advice and mentorship where I can to help people represent themselves in the best way possible.
4: And I'm Mike Zane and I am a international medical graduate completed my medical school in the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. This was followed by a master's in vision science and a combined corneal research fellowship at the baskin Palmer Institute. And I'm currently a PGY1 at the Cook County department
5: of ophthalmology. Hi everyone. I'm Camilla Albo. I completed my medical school at the Medical College of Georgia at Augusta University in Augusta, Georgia, and I am now a PGY1 ophthalmology resident at UT Health San Antonio. Great to be here with you all.
0: Okay, so Camilla, you and Mike are the closest to what everybody is going through right now, all the nerves and everything like that. Take me through, you know, these last few weeks building up to the match. Um, you know, Camilla, maybe start with you, and then Mike chime in. You know, what are the emotions going through their minds? Um, what kind of uh, advice do you have for them? What can you do at this late stage if you haven't done already? Um, and, uh, and and sort of walk us through that.
5: So many great questions. Um, I just want to start off by encouraging everyone that's going through the process right now. You know, Mike and I are just one year out, um, so we're really you just a little further ahead in the spectrum of time and. I'm even so encouraged talking with you all right now on this podcast, thinking about where we can be in the future, looking up to so many amazing people in the field. So right now, thinking back to a few weeks before applying, the application will be due around September 1st. I remember feeling nervous and excited, so many emotions, and just getting everything together. And then the next big step is approaching interview season, waiting for interview invitations around October, going through the interviews in November, December, early January, and then approaching the match. So as far as taking it one day at a time is what I really encourage. And if I could give you, I think, one main piece of advice, it's to not be afraid to be yourself. I really encourage you to let your passions shine. I think going into interview season, people sometimes get nervous. They are nervous about being judged, about being measured up against others but it's an amazing chance to to tell your story and your story is so powerful. So getting to share what what makes you tick, what your passions are, your aspirations. Um, Ultimately, I think we are naturally hardwired to resonate with stories. People love a good story and having that human connection. So when you're talking with your interviewers, just be yourself, share what makes you you and what you're excited about going into ophthalmology and you really can't go wrong.
4: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, Camilla. I mean, like she said, you want to take it one day at a time. And right now where there's only two weeks left until application is submitted, there's not much that you can really change in your application. And at this point, you want to focus on what you have and what makes you tick. Specifically, you want to kind of really, you've probably already worked on this for most of the the last couple of months crafting your narrative, but you really want to have that ingrained in your mind. So programs, when they're interviewing you, they can see that shine right through. Also, you also wanna lean on your support system, whether that's your mentors, your colleagues, your peers. I mean, you should be proud of yourself at this point, that the fact that you're even applying, I think that in itself is an achievement because to even get your application to that stage where um, you are, eligible to apply. I think you've done so much to reach this point that you should just be proud of yourself and be kind to yourself. And similar to the point about leaning on your support system, I wouldn't, I don't know if anyone thinks this, but I wouldn't think of anyone as competition. These are all going to be your future colleagues and together you can achieve more. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but you want to really bounce ideas off each other, practice interviews together, start to think about how you want to be viewed by your colleagues going forward. I know it might be a little presumptuous to say before you've even matched, but if you get into that mindset, then I think you can kind of make what's gonna be a very turbulent couple of months, a little more, um, what's turbulent, the more smooth sailing, shall we say. So definitely at this point, you wanna focus on what makes you, you, and don't try to reinvent the wheel. Talk to your mentors, strategize a plan about how you're gonna make this a successful season, lean into your um, colleagues, and um, yeah, best of luck to you. Good feedback, and, and Rahul,
0: you're, you're kind of on the other side of the table here uh, at a world-famous place, and you're going to be seeing applicants from all over the place who are all amazing, I bet. I'm curious about two things, about um, uh, the step one. Is that still a thing? I, that went to pass-fail, didn't I'm curious if that because uh, that used to be a big differentiator, and I'm also curious about sort of um, the away rotation thing. That was always a question whenever I was, you know, applying. Was like, should you do it or should you not? Does it help you or hurt you? I guess it depends. How, what's the current state of the step one thing, and and how is that? A, if it is pass fail, then what do you have to go on? And then what do you think about the away rotation thing? And I guess that that might be something people are leading up to.
3: Yeah, great great questions. And you know, just to kind of piggyback first on what Mike and Camila were saying, I think that. Um, you know, representing yourself in a, in a good way, whether it's on an away rotation, whether it's on paper, whether it's through um, your support system reaching out, uh, pre or post interview, letting us know of your interest and what makes you great, I think is is probably the most important thing. Um, I want to take kind of a um, a contrarian view a little bit because I think people are very, keen to present themselves in the best possible light. And I just want to uh, also caution against the things that are red flags um, from a residency program or fellowship program director perspective, things that would make me say, geez, I would think twice before I'm going to look at this application. And if there's anything that feels to you in your heart as a stretch that you're saying about yourself, just don't say it. You've probably got enough other accomplishments to put it on paper. If there's a story that's not quite true or is it a, a stretch of the imagination in your personal statement, don't sell it with flowery language. It's not true. It's not what's necessary for your personal statement. There's so much that happens to good applicants that they do um, just out of a sense that they've got to make a perfect application that ends up taking them out of um contention just because we worry about whether or not they're authentic and whether they'll be authentic and trustworthy and true when they're here in person.
4: Um,
3: to speak specifically to the step one uh, uh, question, I believe that it'll still be on the applications this year. I don't think the pass fail has come through yet. Am I right on that, Mac, uh, Mike and Camila? So um, I would say that there are some centers that will use that as, as a cutoff to say that You know, we don't start looking at applications above a certain, um, threshold just because of the volume of applications that come in. So you have to imagine that everybody that's reviewing these applications is doing so on a voluntary basis. They have full-time practices in most cases, and they're doing this on nights and weekends instead of playing with their kids. So, um, there are some rough cutoffs. Sometimes it happen um, in some programs. Um, We don't use that and for the most part I think that many of the other programs don't use that for the most part, but uh, I know that there are some that do at least below a certain level. Um, But there are plenty of other things that can make up for poor step one scores and I'm sure we can expound on that um, as the evening goes on.
0: What do you think Brent so so you you look at applications I think mostly for fellowships for for wills, um, but you know it's still kind of the same idea one thing that Rahul talked about was authenticity and man, like no one's dumb here. Like everyone can sniff out an ounce of social awareness. Like you can sniff out if someone's not being authentic. Um, and, And, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, if you say some story about someplace you've been, chances are someone that on that 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 panel has been there too. and they may they may ask you something and call you out. Like if you don't speak Mandarin, don't say you speak Mandarin, you know what I mean? Because someone probably does speak Mandarin at wills, you know. So uh, maybe talk about some things that really kind of shine for you when you're looking at applications and and so forth.
2: Absolutely. A, a lot of great points have already been brought up. and the um the key to authenticity, absolutely. Uh, doesn't just end at putting truthful statements on your application, but also presenting your most truthful self. In terms of um, mentioning specific traits or certain skill sets that you have on your application that may or may not be completely accurate or completely truthful, um, there are many interviewers that will ask you about them and ask you to demonstrate. If you are a singer, they might even ask you to hum a few bars. If they you know, find out that you are a world-class whistler, guess what? You're going to be performing for the group. So, you know, make sure that you're ready to uh, to back up um, with actions, what you put down in words. Um, one quick thing I want to actually backtrack on that Mike had said that I think is so important is ophthalmology is an extremely small community. And that community that you build starts from the moment that you enter the applicant pool, and it continues throughout the entire duration of your practice. It is remarkable how many people I met on the interview trail now, uh, 8, 9, 10, 10 years ago, eight, somewhere in that range, <laughs> um, that I still know that I still see at meetings that I still reach out to when I have problems or want to know about applicants from other programs and that sort of thing. So these are very, very valuable, um, friendships and just, it's the first step that you have in building. Um, your career path and building your, um, your professional group. So I think that all of those are extremely important. Um, In terms of uh, what Rahul was mentioning about, um, you know, presenting yourself on the interview day, I think that you need to not only have you know, all of your skill sets ready to roll in and have all of your, um, your discussion points ready. But you need to be ready to um, just be a, an open, honest, and, and friendly individual. There are a lot of smart people that are applying to these fellowships and to these residency programs. And um, that's not really what differentiates you. We're not looking for the 0.1% you know, out of the 0.3%. What we're looking for is somebody that we are going to be able to trust, that we're going to be able to rely on, and that we're gonna be able to lean on with our patients and with our hospital for those three years that you're gonna be with us. Um, to that point also, Blake, you mentioned away rotations. I think, Blake, oh, I think away rotations are a very valuable thing that you can do, especially as we look into a future where USMLE scores and some other objective metrics may not necessarily be as um, closely vetted or may not even be available. And so if you are somebody who naturally presents yourself well who uh, makes a good first impression and you know if you do or you don't if you're a good first impression person you are probably somebody who should consider doing an away rotation at a stretch school not just your safety school Um, i know many of my colleagues who uh, managed to find their way into very competitive residency programs through these um, these away rotations and so i would definitely encourage our applicants to pursue them for their you know, their most coveted spots.
0: Yeah, Mike, Camilla, what did you guys do any aways? Is that is that still a thing right now or is it too late to do an away? Do they already have to do that? I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out if that's if this is relevant right now or if they were going to do an away rotation would they have already done it by now or is that upcoming?
5: It is very relevant. I think Mike and I can both speak to this. Um, I know we have some friends who, I have one that I just messaged before this asking about questions he has, and he's doing an away rotation right now. I remember away rotations going through September, I believe, maybe October. Um, And students usually applied a few months ago, but I think there may always be an opportunity perhaps to rotate. Um, I really encourage students to just reach out to programs directly if they have a very strong interest. They may have already done that at this point, but being able to make that great first impression on an away rotation is critical. I actually did my away rotation here at UT Health San Antonio um, where I matched and I'm doing my PGY one year and I had an amazing experience. It was a blast. And I think what I learned from that experience and, and advice also I give for everyone going through the process right now Is that I think people truly are what make a program so special. Uh, When you find people that you can rely on, you know, you can build each other up, support one another, roll up your sleeves, and work hard during busy clinic days and call days. Um, What Dr. Finkley mentioned also. Is so true it's I think the intangibles that sets you apart it's the things that you don't learn from a book it's helping out your your co residents, the team. taking extra patience. you know, offering to help out your residents in any way that you can just getting to know people on a genuine level and that's just being vulnerable and honest to, to who you are, I think those are easy things that you can do to really stand out during an away rotation.
0: And Camille, you probably meet some people, um, you know, doing these away rotations, things that aren't very nice. So if you could just go rank for us the meanest programs that you spent, that you interviewed at, and you can give some names <laughs> of the professors that were mean, um, that would be great. Uh, maybe not right now, but think about that at the end of the podcast, we'll come back to it. No, I'm kidding. Um,
5: <laughs> I may pay <be> the fifth. <laughs> yeah. Mike. But no, everyone was amazing.
0: <laughs> so, so, so Mike, um, you know, let's say that you're, a, let's just say that you have a great application. Um, and, and maybe you have your picker programs, right? So maybe you're somebody who feels like pretty confident that they're gonna they're gonna get a lot of interviews and they're probably gonna match. It's just a question of where. How do you how do you evaluate different programs? Like what's what do you look for whenever I went through for me, it was like, well, gosh, where could I even get an interview? Um, and, uh, I had average step one scores, but I had had like one or two publications. It's not like it is now. Everybody has all this stuff. Um, so i got a good little number of interviews from some decent programs. And so for me, it was all about numbers. Uh, I really wanted to do a lot of cataract surgery because I knew in my specific situation, that's what I was, that was what was relevant to me, but that's not everybody, you know, not everybody wants to do cataract surgery. There's a bunch of other stuff within ophthalmology. So how, how do you kind of
4: evaluate, um, and rank the programs that you go visit and interview at? So that that's such an important point and question. And we can all agree that all, what is it, 120 something programs in the country right now, they're all meeting ACGME requirements. They're all going to train you to be a qualified ophthalmologist. And they're all going, you're going to come out great no matter where you go. I, I think to my mind, the most important thing is culture and fit. And do you fit in with the culture of this program. And that's also just piggybacking on the, the previous topic we were just talking about, away rotations. And I think an away rotation is such an important way to gauge that, see how the residents interact. How do the residents interact with each other? How do they interact with the attendings? What's the dynamic like uh, in clinic when you're staffing with them? Are the residents afraid to approach the attending to ask for help or vice versa? Is it more of a handholding program or is it more of an autonomous program? And I think those are all very important points. And I mean, they all just boil down to what the culture of the program is, whether you fit in. And also, are people happy? Um, are people? Do people look like they want to be there? And you might think, well, I mean, why wouldn't they? But you can tell so much from body language, from what people say, what people do, and that you'll be surprised what you can uh, uh, gauge from, People, how people carry themselves in um, the department, even that's something I also made a point to pay attention to. How how was the program director interacting with the uh, residents? How were the residents interacting with their seniors? And all these things, I think, um, they play a role. And you could be at the best program in the world, but if you're not happy, um, I don't think you're going to be the best version of yourself. And that also goes back to the first topic we talked about, which is staying true to yourself. And you wanna be true to yourself, you wanna be authentic, so you're gonna match at a program where they like you for who you are. And it's gonna make what's gonna be a very grueling and at the same time rewarding four years that much more beneficial to you. And if I could just touch on the previous topic about the away rotations, I just wanted to talk from an IMG perspective. Um, I think it's extremely important, especially for a foreign medical grad, because maybe some programs might view a foreign medical grad as an unknown quantity. They don't know how to gauge the quality of their medical school, which also makes the fact that step one is now pass fail that much more daunting for people who don't come from quote unquote, traditional uh, top tier schools. So going on these away rotations can kind of show a program that you can fit in, that you are somebody who gets the culture. You're somebody who's not gonna be a problem. You're somebody who, won't have, um, won't be so difficult to acclimatize um, to the culture there, uh, for example. So I think it's such an effective way to kind of level the playing field and uh, to show programs that there are more applicants beyond the quote-unquote traditional bread and butter ones that you might get from your um, fancy big schools. So that's just my plug for that topic, but great questions all around. Thank you.
0: Oh, I want you, I want to, I want you to react to that and specifically the culture and fit and like, you know, they're looking at you guys to be like, Hey, how happy is Dr. Tonk and how happy is the colleagues? Are you doing the same thing? Are you, are you, are you being like, you know, how easy is this person to approach? Are they socially aware? Um, Are they going to be a pain in the ass for the next three or four years? I mean, surely you guys are looking at culture and fit and attitude and, and all that, you know, when you're, when you're going through that.
3: Yeah, I, I think, um. What what I've learned is as this process has gone on is how much more important the who is than the what, um, and that's true for both sides. So as an applicant, when you're assessing a program, you know numbers, of course, in in the residency program perspective, very important to hit a you know a certain number of cataracts and and core competencies and so forth. But above a certain level, you know, I would trade off pound for pound, great mentorship, great culture, great family than doing your 301st cataract at a certain uh, institution. I just think that if you set up with the right mentors, they're gonna be with you for the rest of your career. And uh, they're gonna teach you um, things beyond the technicalities of the surgery and even the technicalities of a clinical exam. They'll just teach you an approach to life, a way to balance your work and life Um, a way to integrate research with, with a career, even if you're not particularly interested in research at this stage in your career, maybe you'll find someone that sparks something in you. Um, Mentorship is really what it's about. And so as you assess programs, yeah, make sure that everybody's happy. Of course, residents are tired frequently. And so a lot of times you might not get the best initial impression. Um, from residents that are post-call, but generally speaking, you can sleuth it out, and you can figure out, you know, who's who's tired, who's happy to be working hard, and and who's just feeling like they're, you know, getting too much scut work on their plate. Um, and uh, then on the other side, for for us on the on the program director side, 100%. By the time you're at the interview stage, um, you know we're not looking at the CV as much, and what we're really looking for is the person. And uh, when the going gets tough, and I'm, let's say, at home, and I've got a private patient of mine that shows up in our, um, our clinical emergency room, and uh, the resident, you know, is giving me a call at 2 a.m., say, Dr. Tonga, we've got your patient here. I just need to know that that person has done a good quality exam, that I can trust what they say, that they're clear of thought, that they can present themselves well, that um, they uh, are reliable, and that they will sign out that uh, patient appropriately to the pay- appropriate staff member to make sure they do follow up back with me. Same is true with how we then see those people mature through their residencies. Are they going to be team players in their class cohort? But then when they become senior residents, are they gonna stick it out and stay late when they're on buddy call with first year residents and teach the first years what they learned, what people did for them? Are they gonna pay it forward? Are they gonna become educators? Um, And uh, you know, it's all about the person at the end of the day especially once you're at the interview stage. So even if you don't, um, you know, I'm thinking about the introverts that are listening to this that may not know how to present themselves in the best way and be outgoing and come across great in an away rotation. That's not what it's all about. I mean, if you can find somebody to speak to your authenticity, your trustworthiness, your reliability, if you can find a way or a vignette or a story that conveys that in a powerful way, concentrate on that story craft that story so that when you get the interview question tell me about yourself which is coming guys it's coming you're gonna get that interview question if you haven't heard it already just don't be surprised like it's the first time someone's asked you that question have some concise answer that's going to convey to me that when the going gets tough you're going to be on the ball and uh, that's—it's not really that complicated.
0: Whenever that whenever that resident does call you at two a.m., do they ever ask what's that house music playing in the background? Do they ever ask what club you're at? <laughs>
3: it's,
2: <know> it's
0: Miami.
3: <laughs> it is Miami after all, so they might—they find me a club space over
0: here. <laughs> There's like a secret place to take call Miami nightclubs. Likely, they're going
3: to find me with uh, with my young kids, you know, crying in the. Back <laughs> and I'll still be awake one way or the other.
0: Brett, what do you think?
2: I mean, I agree. Rahul laid it out really well in terms of what the hospitals and what the programs are looking for in their applicants. The biggest challenge is actually eliciting that information and eliciting those character um, attributes that we really want to know about. And so it's really not as much on the hospital to draw out that information as it is on the applicant to present themselves in that honest and that very... um, clear way um, one of the things which I, in a minute i want to bounce over back to our recent matches um, is how much time did you spend preparing certain questions and certain uh, answers so that you are ready to go when they come up because there are those classic ones that were whole mentioned but you just gotta you gotta have your answer ready to rock and roll to really keep the ball moving and keep things moving along um and then otherwise in terms of just um But preparing for that day, I think, having your general list of questions, having your vignettes, having your your talking points, I think are going to prepare you so there's not as many stumbling blocks. The last thing that I would really mention um, when we talk about intangibles, you know, you are in the top whatever percent by the time you make it to the actual interview, and so the entire interview day, is that working interview it's that working relationship building and so not only are the applicants interacting with each other and building their friendships and their colleague um, connections but we also are watching to see how the applicants are interacting with all the other individuals at the hospital i know this may be cliche to say but the first person that we go and ask about the applicants after they leave at the end of the day as we go and we talk to the secretaries we talk to the tour guides We talk to the guy at the front door who opened it for them. And we want to know who was rude, who was a jerk, because those people immediately are going in the paper shredder. And after that, then we take the remaining people and we start considering them. So be nice to people. Play fair. It's a small sandbox. Um, But uh, I'd bounce it back over to Mike and Camilla. How much time did you all spend preparing some of those um, stock answers, but the ones that were really pure and ready to rock and roll for your interview day?
4: Yeah, so I mean... I lost count of the amount of times I practiced, but I think aside from practicing the main standard questions like tell me about yourself, I think especially with uh, things being virtual now and sometimes uh, um, nonverbal cues uh, not really being fully appreciated, I think you really wanna focus on how you're delivering your question, your answer as well. And it's not so much about what you say, it's about how you say it. And at the same time, you wanna come off prepared. So I know I'm kind of contradicting myself, but prepared, but at the same time, you don't want to seem robotic. So I basically had every item on my application. I had at least one or two bullet points ready to go about what I was going to talk about because last thing you wanted to do was freeze on the spot. Obviously, there were going to be occasional questions that kind of stumped you, but I think, and you can also correct me on this, but I think... The interviewer also is kind of seeing how you're responding to questions if they may be kind of uh, coming out of left field or like if they've thrown you a curveball. They want to see if you're easily flustered or if it's something. How are you going to react to it? So, I definitely practice questions like "Tell me about yourself." Had things prepared for every single um, item on my application. Another thing that I think maybe some people don't realize before going through the process is you get asked a lot about your uh, hobbies. And the last thing you want to do is not know what to talk about with your hobbies. It's it's really an opportunity for you to let your guard down, uh, quote unquote, and really talk about the things that you're comfortable with. And odds are the person who's asking you about these hobbies also probably shares those hobbies as well. So it's your opportunity to show how, how you are socially. And um, again, just make sure you're prepared wherever you have on there, which goes without saying. Well, I'm, I'm sure Kimala can also attest to this.
5: Mike brought up so many great points too. I have a lot of thoughts so i'll keep them organized. Um, really when approaching the interview questions so even I just went and checked on iguru.com they have an awesome list of common questions so of course being prepared and not thinking of a robotic answer don't focus on memorizing answers to questions but rather understand what the central theme is that you're trying to get across think of your experiences what you'd want to say responding to questions things like tell me about yourself why ophthalmology strengths weaknesses tell me something about yourself that's not on the application there are so many you can look them up online but the most important thing is not what you say but how you make people feel i think one of my favorite quotes by maya angelou is in a sense people may forget what you did or what you said but they will never forget how you made them feel so i think just at your core being honest with who you are being authentic and connecting with your interviewer and not being afraid to let your passion shine through especially during virtual interview season that can be a challenge so i think trying to be as enthusiastic while being honest to yourself as possible it helps convey your passion little things like practicing looking into the camera to make eye contact with your interviewer it makes a big difference your body language like mike said your tone um, essentially, you just want to leave an emotional imprint on your interviewer, and it takes two people, right, to connect. So you just as much as your interviewer is trying to connect with you, you want to connect with your interviewer. So just share what makes you so passionate, why you're so excited to be applying into ophthalmology, and you'll have a great experience.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think that that's, that's super important, and I, and I think it's important to be prepared if what you think is going to be a hit uh, turns out to be a flop. Uh, so you may have some, some, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, i have several one-liners that I'll break out from time to time when I'm trying to manipulate someone into liking me. Um, and, uh, I remember when I was doing my, uh, my little um, statement, you know, you want to kind of stand out because I read all those statements and I'm like, gosh, what can I think of that's true and authentic and real that, that immediately would set me apart? And like one of the first lines that I did was something about my, my, my family history in medicine. And one of the cool things is like my, one of my great, my great uncle, uh, Dr. Ira Bush, was this guy who, who was a, a, a doctor in Texas, and he actually crossed the border during the Mexican insurrection army and became the personal physician of Pancho Villa. Uh, and he wrote a book about his exploits called Gringo Doctor, which you can go get. It's, it's my uncle Ira on the front cover and full regalia with sword. And I thought, wow, that's, that's powerful. And that's so different. And so I put that at the top. And I remember uh, one of the programs that I went to, the first thing the guy said, is "You ready? He goes, yes, I read this. So what you're saying is your ancestors are traitors? <laughs> Your ancestors are basically traitors that joined the Mexican Insurrection Army, and I was like, "Oh crap! I didn't think about it like that." You know, so they laughed. They were they weren't being mean spirited, but I wasn't ready. I didn't think about it like that. I thought about like, well, oh, this is cool. Nobody else has this on their application." So, so be careful. Think about it. they turn it on a dime, you know, and and then going towards what brent said about um, you know the the, the, uh, the people at the front desk and and and. Um, you know, I, I remember literally at, I think I did like 13 interviews, which I think was a decent number back then. And I went on 13 of them and I wrote a thank you note specifically to the, 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 uh, the, the front desk uh, uh, person. So the secretary that was like, welcome. I, I took their name and I literally had individual cards. I put them in a, in, a, in a FedEx mail mailer with like four or five different things. All the people that interviewed me, the program director, and the secretaries, like everybody. Um, And so, and I don't know how many people did that. I don't know if that's a thing, uh, but I did that. Maybe that helped me. Uh, Maybe they saw right through it, I I don't know. Um, But that was sort of my tactic. So um, we have about five minutes left. Um, Dr. Tonk, I want you to, is there anything that we haven't covered? Um, Is there anything that you wanna bring up?
3: I I mean, we've covered so much about, I think, uh, preparing the application personal statement CV. We talked about uh, the interview process, preparing for an interview, how to um, conduct yourself an interview. One thing that frequently comes up is how to utilize your supporters and your support network. Um, And I I will share briefly what what I think, but I'm curious to know what our co-panelists think about how they utilize their support network, because I think that is so important in the field as small as ours. Um, I will say, generally speaking, my advice is to... Um, highlight, let's say, a small number of programs, one to three programs that you are particularly or uniquely interested in and well-suited for. And I would reach out to uh, whomever may have uh, personal insight into that program or a colleague that um, is on faculty that program, whatever it may be, and have them send out a quick email, text, or phone call, um, letting them know that your application is coming as they review uh, applications in time for the um, interview uh, uh, invites to go out. Uh, some people talk about um, sending those things out after the interview is done. Um, and uh, you know that's a little bit of gamesmanship, right? You interview at a bunch of places and then you finally figure out what your top three are and then you send out these things. And I think that that's certainly, that's a different way of looking at it. In my perspective, by the time you get your rank list set and get that machinery together, to send those out, it's, uh, it's gotten a little bit late and the program is probably likely to have already had their internal rank list meetings. Um, so you may be bumped up and down, but it would at that point be at the discretion of the program director rather than the committee. And that's, harder, uh, that's a harder, harder call to make the larger an institution you have. If you have a large institution with a big committee that's looking at residents together, it's very hard for one person to make that shift. So I like if those things are gonna go out, uh, they'll stay in your file post-interview, of course. So you know, send out one or two or three if you feel the need um, before the interview, just to make sure that we don't sleep on your application as we consider whom to extend an interview invite to. Uh, don't overdo it. You know, of course, we don't want too many of these uh, to go out. And and for again, for anything to seem inauthentic. So if it's just one program, just send out one letter um, or one email. But uh, that that's my little bit of advice. And I'm curious how the others manage that.
0: Yeah, Camilla, maybe I'll give you kind of the last word here. Um, you prepared a lot of thoughts about tonight. You want to react to that and kind of uh, take us home?
5: I absolutely, would love to. That's so many excellent points, Dr. Tunk Something you mentioned about. Reaching out to a few programs that you're genuinely interested in as an applicant, I think that's so valuable I think you shoot your shot um, as long as you're honest with. What you're saying, and if you are emailing these programs, my advice is to really individualize that email. Tell them why you're so passionate why you're excited about that program um, and let them know your exact reasons so it's not uh, too broad and generic and. Really, Mike, everyone here has brought up so many amazing points of leaning on your support network. One of my favorite things about this amazing field of ophthalmology is how interconnected everyone is, how willing and excited people are to support one another and support the next generation of future ophthalmologists. This is a vibrant community of remarkable people. I remember going through even during the COVID pandemic and I started reaching out to ophthalmologists through social media, Uh, Twitter. I reached out to one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Rob Melendez through Instagram, and he was willing to mentor me throughout the process. Mike and I reached out um, to each other. We met through Med Twitter and we joined Young MD Connect um, and we brought it full circle meeting at Millennial Eye this past year where we got to meet you too, Dr. Williamson. So I just encourage you to support one another. I think the more you give, the more you get. So this isn't a competitive environment. This is a supportive one so i think take care of one another really lean on your co-applicants and share information and reach out to mentors who are supporting you along the way and don't be afraid to reach out to ophthalmologists and residents in the field to ask about programs we're more than happy to help
0: and i'll probably end with uh you know uh, wherever you do end up that's exactly where you're supposed to be i think that where, i think where i was was like third or fourth on my list and i was kind of bummed you know Uh, but man, did it turn out to be the best thing ever. Um, And I bet you that's what's gonna be for everyone listening to this. If you don't get your first or second thing, uh, just know that there's a reason for that. Um, and you're still gonna be an ophthalmologist. One of my favorite Steve Dell quotes is that, that the uh, that the worst day in ophthalmology is still better than the best day in internal medicine, which is so true for all of you PGOI ones who are doing the internal medicine thing. Could you imagine doing that like the rest of your life? Oh my God. Shout out to all the internal medicine people. I'm 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 like 82% kidding. We love you guys. Uh, but seriously, we're biased. So um you guys are gonna be fine no matter what. I hope that you take home a few things from Brent and Rahul and Camilla and Mike. Uh, And we want to thank you all for listening to this episode of
1: Survive and Thrive. Thank you for listening to Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. And thank you to our guests, Dr. Sphinclia, Tonk, Albo, and Zane for joining the show. Until next time.